Good morning, good to see you. Congratulations on remembering the new service time. It's not quite as bad as the, the time change where you miss everything if you forget. So we can be on the lookout for those who uh, might be trickling in right now thinking it's about to start. We will welcome them with grace. Every song we sang this morning mentioned Jesus as the Lamb. The first one, the Lion and the Lamb, and the next two just as the Lamb. And that connects so well to the passage that we've been looking at in 1 Peter where we're being told as Christians that we are to be submissive. Uh, the first example was to the government. The second, last week, was to masters. And then this week is wives to husbands. Verse 7 talks to husbands and then includes everyone in being understanding and living together with brotherly love, and that will be where we start next week. But for this week, we're just looking at wives the way we looked as servants last week. It's just one group. Of course, there are principles that will apply past wives, and particularly maybe even as specific as you can get, wives who are married to lost husbands is probably the exact focus that Peter has because in verse 1 of chapter 3, it says, likewise, wives. So we know the likewise is attaching it back to the whole idea of submission. So be submissive to the government, be submissive to masters. Likewise, wives, you be submissive to. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be one without a word by the conducts of their wives. So, so many of the things that are said in this passage apply generally to biblical women, and that's primarily how I will address that. But Peter is particularly talking, and it especially connects to women who have met Jesus and become Christians and come to this church, which is young and new and vibrant and less than 100 years old at this point, and their husbands have not yet been saved. And so you have this separation of the family unit where this wife is Christian and the husband may be Jewish or pagan, and it certainly would cause problems in the marriage. And so Peter's giving advice to these women. The advice that he gives them will apply generally. But if you're that woman... And the reason I'm applying it generally is because maybe there's less than a dozen here who meet that exact criteria. But if that is your criteria, I hope you're especially encouraged. Uh, my mother is married to a lost person. My stepdad's lost, and so she meets this criteria. And uh, I pray for him, and, and she tries to live up to this passage. And so I know that that's a struggle. If that's your unique struggle, uh, I, I'm in prayer for you too and would love to visit with you more. But it'll generally apply. So here's the big idea where we'll take it. Biblical women are powerful and beautiful and mysterious and submissive. And so we like, it's pretty easy to talk about three of those four probably. 
Uh, and the, the uniqueness is that really they're powerful in their submission and they're beautiful in their submission and they're mysterious in their submission. So the main idea is submission and we know that because when he concludes in verse 6, he says, he gives a role model, Sarah, as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, and you are her children, if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. So I'm going to start there and circle back. We'll read the whole passage. We know that submissive women are powerful because they don't fear what might be frightening. And I think from the context of the passage, what might be frightening is submission. It would be frightening to all of us at any point when you're told, hey, here's a relationship where you're going to play second or be submissive or not take the lead or you're not in charge or whatever language you want to use. It's certainly frightening. And he concludes by saying, biblical women aren't frightened of that. And so that's where we'll end. Let's read the whole passage and then we'll try to get to that final point. Verses 1 through 6 of... 1 Peter chapter 3. Will you stand? I'll read the passage and pray, and then we'll get to work. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives. When they see your respectful and pure conduct, do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair, the putting on of gold jewelry, or the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, and you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening." Jesus, please give me grace to speak clearly from the word and truthfully and gently and that we all gain insight on how to live better and particularly this week wives and next week husbands would see what you say to them about that unique relationship we enjoy if we're married. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, two examples of a biblical woman's power. First, and the root of their power is that they hope in God. I'm saying they're powerful because in verse 1 it says that they're so powerful, so influential, that this woman can live out as a biblical woman in relationship with her husband. And even if the husband is lost... Her, she can live in a way that would be influential enough and powerful enough to cause him to want to be saved. And certainly, if that applies to a lost person, it would, a husband, it would apply to a Christian husband who's maybe uh, in disobedience. And if it applies to that, it would certainly apply to a, a biblical husband who's doing the best he can and is a knucklehead sometimes. So all, you know, the whole baseline is that if you're a biblical woman, you have power and influence over your husband if... You live in this way. 
that you, I mean, how powerful is this? That, that even if some do not obey the word, that is the husband, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives. It's crazy. Now, there's some overspeak in this passage, and I think one example is that they might be won without a word. I do not, we, we know, and this is silly, but I think I have to point it out. We know that doesn't mean without any words, Right? Like the message is that for you to be a biblical wife, zip it. None. No more, Bible says, without a word. I think it means that the reason he gets one didn't have much to do with your words. But instead, he tells us what it had to do with. Verse 2, they saw, or when he sees, your respectful and pure conduct. So he's saying between words and conduct, your conduct is more powerful and more influential over your husband. And we know that because it's Proverbs, I think, that says that there's, there's, there's not much worse than being married to a nagging wife. It says like sitting in the corner of a house with water just dripping on your head continually is the picture Proverbs gives of having a nagging wife. So Peter's saying, look, I know you want your husband to be different, and the answer isn't nagging, and the answer isn't words, the answer is pure and respectful conduct, and you can win him. He can be one you're that powerful. And the power later in the passage, and I think this is the root of her power, is in verse 5. It said, for these, for this, sorry, for this is how the holy women who hoped in God. There's where the source of your power is. The biblical women hope in God. And one of the worst things for the relationship of a marriage would be to hope in your husband. <laughs> don't do that. And I don't mean don't count on him, but I mean, don't we, haven't we all made the mistake I have and, it's, and, it's, and it, hurt, it hurts, and it's your own fault and it's my own fault when it happens, but it still hurts. You've been in a place where you've hoped in someone other than God, right? You really placed your hopes in them, and it is always only a matter of time before they let you down. They're always gonna let you down, they're people. And so if Mandy places her hope in me, you know, you know, I hope she gets a good five, six minutes, maybe. She's not getting days before she's like, why did I place my hope in him? He can't satisfy me. Only God can satisfy us. Our longings are too deep and broad. And so these women understood that. They didn't have hope in their husbands for their be-all, end-all identity. They knew who they were because they hoped in God. And in hoping in God, they... They found power to influence and live before their husbands. If you haven't seen, it's a, an amazing movie. If you haven't seen A Case for Christ yet, have, you, have people seen that yet? Have you, some of you gone to see it? Good. It's outstanding. And of course, it's Lee Strobel's, well, this is what it's supposed to be. It's Lee Strobel's story of how this atheist in Chicago set out to disprove Christianity and then over the two years of trying to disprove Christianity, realized that he couldn't and became a Christian and then ended up becoming a pastor and then wrote a book and sold millions of copies about it. But if you watch the movie, which is based on the book and interviews with he and his wife, it is also a story about an influential wife who lived out this verse, who became a Christian first two years before him, and hoped and prayed and cried for him to become a Christian and didn't nag 
but trusted and hoped in God. And then her husband became a Christian, and all these people, the crescendo of his ministry, of course links back to God, but after God links back to his wife. And we know that that is the story over and over and over and over again about men who are visible and seemingly influential, and you get to know them, and very quickly you realize they have a good wife. And that's the, the picture of the biblical woman is not one of weakness, but of one of power and influence. And secondly, of beauty. Verse 3. Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. Now again, there's overspeak here because Peter is not saying no more jewelry and no more braiding of hair. We know that because then he would also have to say logically and no more clothes, right? It's a list. We know he's not saying no more clothes, so he must also not be saying no more braiding of hair, no more gold, right? He's not saying, <laughs> you get the point. So he must be saying that when you are adorning yourself as biblical women, you are more preoccupied and more invested in what is the hidden person than you are what is the outer person. So the Bible doesn't give you a limit, you know, three bracelets limit, four is too much, you know. It doesn't give you a limit, it just gives you a mandate that however much you care about your external appearance, as long as you care more about your internal character and life with God, you're fine. And so, because there's going to be a spectrum of how women care about their appearance. You know? Some like to sport the natural sweatpants, t-shirt, no makeup look, and they're beautiful and thumbs up, and some like to sport another look and thumbs up. And so this woman in sweatpants and a t-shirt is not more biblical <laughs> than the woman with necklaces and braided hair. She may be less biblical if she doesn't care about her inner life. And this woman who, who seems made up may care very much about her life with God. And so as long as you care more, then I think you would fall under a thumbs up from St. Peter. And I love that he's... Because there's some, there's some things here that's first century, that if you, if you think from first century, is very, very powerful. I love that he is telling women here that they are important and that they are people. Because when he says... Let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart. That was a, that's a big deal, just to use the word person, in this culture. And Christianity did so much to, to lift up and continues to do so much to lift up the personhood of females. You know that as Jews, these people wouldn't have even worshipped together. The men studied here and the women didn't get much entrance to study but could, could meet and pray Otherwise, the, the prayer that Jewish men were taught to pray every morning was, thank you, 
Lord, that I am not a Gentile and I am not a woman. That was like being Jewish male was it. And so to have, not only are they worshiping together now, so there's women in the congregation that have to be addressed, but that Peter, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, would say, you know what you need to be worried about? The person in the heart. That would hit original readers differently than it hits us. It would have been so sweet for women to hear that word read, that God recognizes me as a, as a person when the culture still doesn't. And then, beyond a person, that God could recognize you as very precious. When he goes on and says, this is how the holy women, excuse me, uh, when he goes on and says that, that you have beauty of a gentle and a quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. That, that word quiet, again, um, might not mean what we take it to mean. It, it can also be translated peaceful or serene or tranquil. So, you know, um, you, can, you can have a woman. There's so much, the spectrum is so much larger than we sometimes think on, on submissive and, and, and on these passages. You can have a woman that's loud and talks a lot and still has a very peaceful, serene, tranquil heart still cares more about inner beauty and she's not unbiblical so the, the spectrum is pretty wide for different personalities within the female gender the important thing is that her beauty is of this gentle and quiet peaceful spirit which is very precious in God's sight um, So Peter wasn't able to do this with his audience, but we can now. There's such a bright line here, right, of what it means to be an America, a, a, a woman in America and a biblical woman. You see that they're not the same thing, right? <laughs> I mean, you, you see that the focus in American culture is that a woman is a body, and the focus in biblical literature inspired by God is that the woman is a person. We see in American culture that the way the woman has power is with her body. And we see in biblical literature inspired by God that the way the woman has power is hope in God. I mean, amazing contrast here. And so I hope that you will embrace the culture of the Bible and Christianity and not the culture of America. Biblical women are also mysterious. That language there, the biblical wife, this hidden person of the heart, that a biblical woman you, you, you wouldn't be able to say, well, you know, who I am is what you get or what you see is what you get, that there's this hidden, that you don't see everything, that her husband knows her better than anyone else, and that God knows her even better than her husband, that there's this hidden part of her that is precious before God that might make her mysterious to the world. The, and, and it's such good news for husbands, I promise. <laughs> it's such good news for husbands when, you're, when the person your wife is just with you is better, not worse, than the person she is, the public version of her. 
Because sometimes that's not true in marriages. Sometimes you have this delightful, seemingly delightful individual, this woman who seems to care, and then is just awful to her husband, or just, just not the same person. And, you know, he, he's always inviting people over so she'll be nice to him or whatever. <laughs> but there's, in history, there's examples of these masterpieces of art that on the back, people have found on the back maybe just a six-by-six-inch painting on the back of these masterpieces. These artists would, would paint just a little sketch on the back, and they would write to the glory of God. And it was this hidden painting that was also a masterpiece that was just for God's eyes. You're going to put the painting on the wall. They're all going to see the big side. But on the back side, there's going to be this hidden, precious, just for, the, for God. And I think biblical women live that way. Yes, there, there may be a beautiful exterior, and there might be lots of good interaction, and they might do much for the kingdom. But, but on the other side, there's also something very precious that just her husband sees, and then something more precious that just the Lord sees. It's just for his glory. And that's what Peter is talking about. And so it's sad. This is a little rabbit I'm going to chase. for. It, it, it applies to the text, but it's not exactly from the text. And so it's sad, incredibly sad, that we live in a day now where there is so much confusion about what it means to be a man or what it means to be a woman, or that the confusion has gotten to such a point that we don't even know if that's the right question. Like, can you be a man? Can you be a woman? Or are there lots of different options? On, on Facebook, when you get to choose your gender, 73 different genders have been chosen. I know you thought there were just two, didn't you? Well. 73, there's a list. If you, if you Google 73 genders Facebook, there's a list. And, you know, what we have to do, and especially since the message is primarily to women, what women need to do, what women I hope you'll do, is that you will live in a way that shows young people who are going to be confused about gender and what does it mean, that you would live in a way where you are okay showing them that being a woman is not the same as being a man. You know, we have this sort of hodgepodge where we're all individuals and, and maybe biologically you're a woman, but, but socially you can be a man or maybe vice versa. And if we don't have courageous men and women who are Christians display that there's a difference and that there's beauty in that difference, that it's a good difference, that it's awesome, then the confusion just perpetuates. And I don't know, it's, it, this is a silly example, but it's almost like, and I meant to bring a hammer, but everyone knows what a hammer looks like, so that's okay. Uh, but wouldn't it be, I mean, this is how silly it's gotten, and I don't mean silly like, like that we shouldn't have compassion, but it's like, it's like some people have picked up hammers and just decided they're screwdrivers, and they've got them turned backwards, and they're trying to screw... And, and you just, you want to come along and say, man, that's a hammer. You just, you just, you're like, no, it's whatever I say it is. You're like, no, it was designed to be a hammer. No, I can use the back to scratch my back and I can use the side. And it's whatever I, 
Isn't that, it's such danger. It's like, it's like women deciding everywhere that eyeshadow now goes on the ear right here. It's just going to, oh, it's just going to, it's going to be ear shadow. It's going to. And, and what's the, the craziness of, of it is, is that, that, that you feel in the minority when you say, you know, that's eyeshadow, and they look at you like, you're stupid. No, it's whatever I want it to be. I want it to be. And that's, it's, it's weird that that's the world we live in now. It's weird. And if you're, you know, we have friends that struggle with, with gender identity, and there may be people here that struggle with gender identity, and I'm not trying to, to, to say that it's simple. Uh, I'm just trying to say that I promise biblically, and, and we can hope in God, all of us, because he never lets us down. I promise that it's better to function as male or female because in the very beginning, when God created man, it says he created them male and female. So, so mankind generally functions that way. And that is one of the deepest realities we have is our gender. And so when we don't know what that is, we're, we're just really confused. And we need to be living out how it's something to celebrate. And then all of that leads to submission. So biblical women are powerful, beautiful, mysterious, and submissive. And submissive is not separate from the other three. They find their power, their beauty, and their mystery in their submission. So he gives us an example. For, verse 5, for this is how holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands. As Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, and you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. Now, when I read that, when I studied that this week, I was like, you got to be kidding me. How can one of the points be, okay, ladies, call your husband Lord. It's like, that's not going to fly. And as I did research, thankfully, it doesn't fly. <laughs> so I'll, I'll tell you why. First of all, there's only one example. This is so cool. Only one example of Sarah calling Abraham Lord. So when you, when you read it here and it says, you know, she was so submissive to her husband and, and calling him Lord, the picture I have in my mind is like Abraham with this big robe and he's leading with all these attendants and Sarah's like behind like calling him Lord in front of everyone so that she knows he's submissive. It was a weird picture. Here's the only time it's mentioned in the Bible. When, when Sarah heard that she was going to have a baby, she's old and Abraham's old, like she's 90 and he's 120 or something like that. And so she reacts like most women would react. She, she said, uh, how am I going to have a baby in my old age and my Lord is old too? That's the only time we have. So it wasn't like, praise be to Abraham. I'll do whatever you say. Um, it was, but, it, but there's still some importance to it. It was that casually and almost flippantly she used a respectful term for him. So in today's, you know, it would be that casually and flippantly you, you view your husband as someone that you respect. You, you might not say, my Lord, this is kind of, my Lord in the way that 200 years ago they said it in England. Like someone says something, you say, yes, my Lord. I mean, it's very casual here. This is, not, this is a lowercase L, not a capital L. Um, but there's another example of, of, of Sarah doing something amazingly submissive that Peter might could have used. You remember Abraham goes in to another land, Abimelech is the king in that land, and Sarah's 
good looking. And Abraham's scared that he's going to get killed because they're going to think that Sarah's his wife, which she is, and they might kill him. And so he says to Sarah, let's just tell everyone you're my sister. Are you kidding me? And she goes along with it. She's taken away from Abraham. She's living with all these other concubines with Abimelech. That's incredible submission. Because he's wrong, obviously. He's wrong. And it might have even been submissive as well. I'll give you an out. Because I think it could have been submissive as well to God. Because you've got to be submissive to your husband in the Lord, right? If it contradicts between him and the Lord. But, you know, it would be a good time to say to, to, to your husband, no, maybe, right? Hey, just pretend you're my sister. No. Because <laughs> I'm your wife. But she did go along with it. And what's amazing is in the end, God vindicated her because he curses Abimelech and his household. And he says, why have you taken this man's wife? And he shows Abraham grace because he's his, even though he's the one in the wrong. And he shows Abimelech curses, even though he's not done anything wrong, but he's not his. And he, and he removes Sarah and he gives him back to Abraham. And I just can imagine whether it was ever spoken or not. Maybe it was that powerful influence without a word that maybe as she came back there was a little hmm, you know this, I told you this wasn't going to good idea or, you know so but God vindicated her and gave her back and then later when she had a harebrained idea of her own when she couldn't get pregnant as quickly as she thought she could and she said hey, I have a great idea you should sleep with my servant here and maybe you'll have a child through her. God vindicated her again when God said to Abraham, don't do that. And here's your personhood again, way back in the Old Testament. God said, don't do that because through you and Sarah, I want to bring a nation. And he honored her as a woman and a wife. And he will honor all biblical women as those who hope in him, and he'll make them powerful and beautiful and mysterious and help them be submissive so that it is not, as verse 6 says, something that is frightening to them, but he gives them courage to be able to withstand it and maybe, by his grace, even celebrate it. And the job of a biblical man is to make all that very easy, and we'll talk about that next week. Let me pray. Jesus, I thank you for the amazing gift of marriage and family and women. And I ask that we would live in a way as husbands that make it easy for wives to submit to us. That it would be for their good that they do that because we care for them and love them and protect them and serve them. And I pray for biblical women who do not have husbands that make that easy, that they would still do it because their hope is in you, not their husbands. And that you would honor their efforts. I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.